Welcome to Rebel Business. Uh, this is our first episode. Uh, my name is Mayhul Patel. I'm here in New York. I'm a stand-up comic and also a real estate developer. I'm also a recovering banker. I have my co-host here, Paul Samuel, who's out in LA. He too is a recovering banker and is now a tech advisor. Um, we're really excited about launching this show where we're going to talk about a lot of topics uh, in the business world and some of the things that are untold that aren't making the headlines, but also giving some color as to where there might be some hidden opportunities for people to get into certain marketplaces, whether it be real estate, the equities market, whatever. There's a lot of investments out there. Uh, we're also uh, introducing an AI bot to our uh, show, which is helping us um, navigate the show, come up with uh, certain topics every episode. So we're kind of excited about that and the evolution. But um, one of the things we've done with the AI is ask it to give us certain themes or, uh, I don't know, topics to, to talk about on the show that match um, the theme of the show. And one of the things it brought up uh, recently was a event that happened, I, it was in the 90s. It was the sale, uh, purchase, and then sale of Pebble Beach Golf Course. Um, and I believe the original purchase was by a Japanese businessman for $841 million in 1990. And then the market, similar to what's going on right now, really tanked. Um, interest rates went up. There was a savings and loans problem. Uh, a lot of banks failed, similar to what just happened two weeks ago. Yeah. And values just really dropped, right? So that golf course that was purchased uh, went from $841 million. Two years later, they sold it for a loss of uh, to, at five hundred. So they lost about $341 million. But then what happened in 1999, as the market recovered, the group that bought it for 500 million ended up selling it for 840 million, which was the original price in 1990. So How I think convenient. it's it, it's it's really an interesting example that AI bot brought up. I think it's actually very timely and kind of superimposes exactly what's happening now. You know, values went way up, came down. And then the big question mark now is, are we going to have a 1999 event where the market goes back to where it previously was? And, right. you know, I don't know, Paul, what your thoughts on what's going on, but it, just from the Pebble Beach example, I don't know if you had uh, any thoughts on that. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it kind of is a classic example of how values ebb and flow. Uh, I know I look back on the last few years and I'm no real estate mogul, uh, but I can honestly say that I thought, generally speaking, asset values across residential and commercial were grossly inflated, right? And so you saw yeah, I agree. some yeah, similar um, pattern, right, to what uh, Pebble Beach exemplified sell it at a high price. Uh, there is some sort of interim reckoning uh, that uh, that brings things back down. But uh, I think what we're going to see here as it relates to the commercial side is very similar. Uh, I think you and I probably have different opinions on uh, office as a category, but sure. uh, you know, I, I, cause I'm, I'm 
kind of a corporate stiff. You're not. Uh, <laughs> so I see, I see the kind of nuts and bolts of it from my end, but uh, yeah, I'm curious if, from your perspective, what do you think? You know, we've had some recent commercial defaults. Yeah. Uh, Brookfield and PIMCO. Is this a sign of more to come? Are these blips? What's, what's your thought? I think it is a sign of things to come. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the Pebble Beach example, there's just so many similarities of what happened there, you know, so for people that aren't that familiar or better yet, a lot younger than us that might be listening. Uh, the, the Japanese real estate market was on fire in the 80s, on fire. I mean, they were buying everything in the US. And honestly, there was like movies about this, right? There was a movie with Michael Keaton in it. There is you know, the Rising Sun with Wesley right. Snipes and Sean Connery. There were movies about Japan basically buying America yeah. and we were selling the country away, but their economy was just doing so well, kind of like what we saw here recently and the values just spiked. So they were just buying up everything. And I think we saw a similar thing happen here the last six, seven years um, where values really, really went up well beyond what made sense. Um, right. and you know, just because you see a bunch of sales that are comparable, that doesn't mean that that's what an asset is worth, right? If you right. live in a neighborhood and, you know, you just see everybody selling their house for triple what they paid, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's worth. Right. You know, there's a lot of other factors that go into it. So do I think values are going to come down? Um, yeah, I, I definitely see it. And, and you mentioned Brookfield and PIMCO defaulting. Um, there's just a lot of big players right now that are defaulting. Blackstone, you know, has some troubled uh, assets as well. It's, it's everybody. Every big institution right now is being kind of faced with the reality that what they bought something at, you know, X amount of years ago is just not worth what it is. Now, I mean, it's the value has changed. And I guess the question is, by the end of the decade, similar to Pebble Beach, are these guys going to recover their value? And I have an opinion on that. I don't know if you do. Do you think that, you know, by the end of this decade, things will recover and a lot of that value will be picked up? Or do you think there's some permanent loss here? I, I do think there's some permanent loss here um, okay. because... You know, what you what you just uh, alluded to over the last couple of years, I mean, prices paid were so exorbitantly high and nonsensical, right? That yeah. even even if you kind of return to a normal economic state, you're just not getting that premium, right? So there's there's probably room in my mind for appreciation, right? If you can weather this cycle uh and, and navigate the interest rate environment but on the other end of it it's still it's not going to be what it was what, what it once was yeah you know I, I have a little bit of a different opinion i think it's you know for as far as real estate's concerned i do think it's going to be sector driven and the sector yeah. the big sectors being apartments retail office hotel and then there's a lot of subsectors to that. Obviously, industrial is another big um, asset class. But uh, I do think the office market's going to get hit pretty pretty tough here. You know, I mean, the way we do business changes a lot. 
Um, but what doesn't change is eventually values generally come down when there's a major price correction. And I think that we're seeing that a lot of that's driven though. I mean, with the office sector, yeah, that's being driven by, we're just, we've just now are doing business differently, right? That's just what's happened. You know, the remote work um, has had a huge impact on that, but what, you know, I know people have been writing sort of now the, the obituary of office. Yeah. And the, the one thing that I kind of push back on that is, I think that we were seeing this before the pandemic, and I'm not even talking about remote work. You know, a lot of the office sector, in my opinion, was underpinned by the fact that we had all this co-share office, you know, yeah. the WeWorks of the world were exploding and there's just so many derivatives of WeWork. And it's a, it's a terrible business model. I think it's a terrible one. I, I, I can't believe WeWork at one point was valued at 20 billion. That's, yeah, yeah. that's like Pebble Beach on steroids, dude. Right. Like that's, that's a perfect example of something that had almost no value, was running at a net loss. And it just did not seem like there was any way that that was going to turn around. But yet yeah. Goldman Sachs at one point was going to IPO this thing at right. 20 bill. That's what was going to happen. I don't even know if it's worth a billion at this point. Yeah. Um, so my point is the office market was the beneficiary of this boom in co-share pre-pandemic for probably four or five years. So you already had this sort of artificial element that I think was propping up the office market. And then boom, you have remote work, which I think remote work was coming anyway. I mean, it's not as if Zoom was invented the day that we had the lockdown, all right? right. Zoom was around but before that. We just all started using it, you know, daily. Right. So there was sort of this arc that was going there. It's just, this has accelerated it. And that's why I think the defaults and all of this change in value, it's coming and it's going to unfortunately be pretty painful in the office sector, particularly. You're going to see it elsewhere. Everybody knows apartment rents have gone sky high and all these other sectors. But the office side, I, I do see values dropping there precipitously. And until, you know, we get out of this, I, I just don't know if it's going to get backfilled. I think the high quality offices will be fine. Um, it's not like everybody's just going to stop going to the office, but I think the lower B and C quality, I think that's where, yeah, you're probably going to run into some real issues there. And, and do you think, uh, cause you see it a little bit differently in New York than I see it out here are, uh, are pe people are obviously returning to office yeah. in droves here. It's a little less pronounced, but you know, what's your expectation? You think there's just like, no way we're going, uh, we're not going back to what we used to be pre pandemic or. I think not anytime next? soon, right. We're at about 50% in New York, uh, as far as people coming back, uh, when are we going to get to, you know, 80, 90%. I think, unfortunately it's going to take, um, it's going to take a downturn, right? I, I think, I personally think this remote work is terrible. Uh, I, I really don't think it's, it's a useful 
thing. I think it actually long-term is pretty damaging. All right. Yeah. You want to work from home one day a week, but uh, I think, I just don't see how this is sustainable. I think by the end of the decade that we're going to see a lot more people coming back to the office. Uh, So if you are one of these intrepid buyers and it takes guts right now to buy an office building. Oh man. You know, if you, but if you get the Pebble Beach opportunity, are you going to take it or not? Are you, you're really taking a bet that the psychology of the, you know, kind of the work environment is that pendulum is going to come back. But I I do think it's going to come back uh, because you're going to see it. I think you're going to start to see, I mean, we've only been out of the pandemic for a very short period of time. So like, we don't have this great sample set of the effect of working at home is having not just on the psychological side, the efficiency side, all of that. I, I think it's going to bubble up and I do think it'll come back. Maybe we're not back to a hundred percent, but by the end of this decade, I would take the bet that we're going to be back at 85%. Wow. So, so I'll, uh, I know we'll, we'll shift gears here in a minute, but I'll give you my two cents, which is, I think they opened Pandora's box, right? Admittedly, because they had to uh, with the pandemic, but people have taken a slightly different approach to their work now, meaning they kind of saw uh, the value of having more flexibility uh, to, to be able to do things during the middle of the week that they weren't normally be able to do. And it's hard to put that stuff back on the shelf. And so I think it may take, I think you're right, it's probably going to move in that direction. I don't know if it ever goes back to what what it once was, which was, you know, Monday through Friday, 8 to 6 p.m. in New York, you are locked to your desk. I think it's going to be, like you said, maybe it's one day, maybe it's two days a week, and uh, you get to work from home or have some flexibility. You think it's permanent. You do think it's permanent. I think think it's going to be pretty close to, to permanent, yeah. Nobody wants to give up, you know, it's sort of See, this I, land I disagree in the sense that, look, if I was running a large scale company, I, you know, I run a very small scale, you know, operation, you know, it's a, I'm a real estate developer, so it's lean. But if I was running a giant organization, I, I wouldn't, I would be like, no, you're coming in, uh, you're, you're coming in. And if not, fine. If we, I, I would take the losses of people. Um, because we are going to go into a downturn and maybe this makes me sound like Mr. Burns from the Simpsons, but like a little bit, I I mean, I I think the value of having people in the office four days a week, at least four days a week, I, you know, I, I just think it's invaluable. I think what we're losing is part of the competitive edge that America has. I really, I, I honestly believe that because I can tell you what's going to happen in China and India. They're already going back to the office. Right. All right. So two things are going to happen. You're going to have a case study in the two largest, most populous countries on the planet, the, the impact on efficiency, right? So we're going to have a case study in 24 months, 30 months. Right. Is it is are they more effective going to the office? But the, the, the other part of that is, which is going to be a huge gain for both of those countries, is their commercial real estate market is going to stabilize so much so faster, faster than ours, yeah. right? So we're going to take this massive hit in our commercial market. China, our 
biggest competitor globally in India, you know, not a small economy as well. These two massive players are not going to have the same problems that we are going to face in our commercial real estate. So their economies are going to recover faster. They're going to be able to reinvest into their companies much faster than we're going to be, because I, I do think the the effect is, is going to be pretty substantial in the near term. We'll get out of it. But I do think a lot of CEOs are going to look back at this and just say, you know what, no more. Uh, you know, if you're not going to come in hey, we're going to get this AI bot and we're going to just replace your ass because, hey, we can. Um, so I, I definitely side. I'm a hard liner on it, I guess. I, I think it's I, particularly for younger people. I don't understand why you would prefer to work from home. I mean, I'm, you know, we both have similar backgrounds. We're both middle-class kids, public school kids. There is no ability to build your Rolodex if you don't go in and meet people. Uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when there's a downturn, man? Like you need to know people. You need to have that Rolodex. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to run into an instance where you just, you have no friends. You have no professional <laughs> friends, man. Yeah. Like I, so I do think by the end of this decade, we're going to see a change because I, I think I, I firmly believe that we're underestimating the, the net damage that this work from home is doing. I, I think it's pretty, it's pretty dramatic when we, we'll, we, I think what we will see will be pretty dramatic. And like I said, you're going to have two major economies that are not going to do that. And we will see what happens if they, if they recover faster, Hey, I mean, America is a business and we're going to adapt. And I think that we will see a shift. I could be wrong, but um, we'll see. time I'm, will I'm, tell. I'm, yeah, I'm betting that that is going to, we're going to see um, a change down the road. Uh, but yeah, sign me up for uh, going into the office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So no, should we? I mean, should we shift gears? I know we can spend endless amounts of time talking about work from home and yeah the impact of, uh, Definitely. you know, networking and, and face-to-face -face interaction. Maybe we'd save that for, uh, another episode, yeah. but, um, what's, uh, what, what's next on our docket here? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, one of the things that we kind of just touched on, you know, when, when values go down there, there is an opportunity as well. Right. I mean, that's capitalism. And some people might be, well, that's some, that's some cold shit, you know, like someone else's loss is someone else's gain, but that right. is capitalism. It, it's designed to take the excess out of the market. And while that's happening, you know, look, the guy from Japan that bought Pebble Beach for $840 million and then sold it for 500 you know, somebody saw that and was like, hey, that's an opportunity. I, I think he mismanaged it. I think he may have overpaid. I'm going to buy this for 500. And, you know, seven years later, they make a $340 million profit. That's capitalism. It is what it is. And you can kind of feel bad for the guy that overpaid or not. Um, I, I, I believe in this platform. It's not perfect. Uh, but it does allow for people to participate, but you can't go up into, you know, this world 
of trying to buy assets, whether it's real estate or otherwise, unless you have investors, right? And right. I think that's one of the questions I always get is like, how, how do you get investors? Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I, I agree. I would buy, you know, a smaller version of Pebble Beach, um, whether it's yeah. you know, a single property or whatever at a, at a discount. But like, how do you do that? Um, I can tell you sauce? one thing yeah. is, yeah, don't sit at your, you know, don't sit in your apartment all day long. All right. That's one of the reasons I hate this remote work crap, man. Like, don't, don't turn into a hermit. Like yeah. that is a big part of it. That's true. You're you're never going to get somebody to write a check for you through a Zoom Zoom meeting, right? No like, way, man. Yeah. What are you? No way. I don't think there is any nope. chance you could you could contact a new investor through nope. Zoom and convince them to invest. Um, you have to be out there talking to everybody, particularly when you're going into a downturn, right? Because there are intrepid investors who have been waiting for this. Yeah. They've been on the sidelines for a couple of years thinking I'm going to come in when the price comes down. That guy, the, you know, whoever bought Pebble Beach for 500 probably was waiting, right? In 1990 when it up, went up for sale, they probably were like I ain't paying 840 for it. Yeah. I will wait. I will wait and I will wait. And you know, while you're waiting, make sure you have investors that like you have to go out and cultivate that. And, you know, like I said, the way you do, you have to talk to everyone. Yeah. You have to talk to everyone. You got to take a hundred meetings and maybe one person will be kind of considering investing with you. I mean, that happened to me all the time where they're just like, who are you? Like you have never built anything. Right. Yeah, you work for some people, but you have no money of your own to put in because I was broke. Uh, so, you know, you have to find a way to convince somebody. And it's hard. It's a whole yeah. lot of hard work because you're just trying to convince them off of your quote unquote good idea. Right. And, and your acumen and, you know, all these intangibles that they haven't seen any real evidence of, no. you know, on your own. Yeah, that that I got to tell you that's one of the hardest things for most people to get over. It's the, you got to put yourself out there. It's just a lot of legwork. There's no shortcut. Oh, man. It's, it's right? nuts. I mean, in this city, are you kidding? I mean, basically like everybody likes slamming the door in your face. Yeah. Like they like doing that, but you, what you have to do is, is you just have to try to meet as many people. And eventually, eventually you will find a person that was in your shoes at some point and they will cut you a break and i know how like disney movie like that sounds <laughs> all right i know that sounds ridiculous yeah but you know it's true uh, but you but you have to go out there you have to take your beating you have to take your lumps you have to kind of embarrass yourself sometimes in these meetings right. where you know it's obvious they're not interested because you're not experienced enough, but eventually you will find somebody who was in a similar situation. And, you know, at that point, exactly what you said has to 
kind of rise. Your acumen has to rise. Right. Your how prepared you are to talk about the investment. So yeah, you have to do all of that. You can't go up in there looking like you know your whole business plan is your your freaking eight uh, fortune cookie. You know, <laughs> like and I think things are gonna work out. Uh, I mean, I've seen enough horrible business plans. There oh, are yeah. people who just bet on you know that and their personality. And that's not enough. You do have to do the legwork and be super prepared. So how did, how did you do it? Like, what was the tipping point uh, in your real estate development career where like things just started to line up and you can point to that as some seminal moment? Um, you know, I, I left, uh, I, I went off on my own in 2009, right? Which was horrible. Like, the, the, the market was, the sky was yeah. falling. Everybody was saying the sky was falling, yeah. but I went out and did it anyway. Um, so that, that part was a little bit scary jumping in at that moment, but I sort of figured that's when a small guy can kind of sneak in. Um, and I, you know, uh, I, I talked, I mean, my LinkedIn connections grew like crazy. I was just trying to reach out to anybody and everyone. Um, and so I was taking meetings and I would say, dude, sometimes these meetings were so bad because the person across from me was a complete bullshitter. And you're just like, what, what, what am I doing? Like, right. I'm never going to raise a dollar. Right. And I, I think it was the turning point for me was finding somebody else who was in the same situation as me at that current point in time. Right. Uh, I met uh, a, somebody who is now a very good friend of mine. Um, he was a real estate broker and he sold, you know, apartments and sometimes pretty high end apartments. And we were talking and he was like, you know, I don't know how to build any buildings. Um, and I don't know, you know, finance, I don't know all the things that you know, but I know a lot of high net worth, wealthy investors, and they trust me because I represented them to, you know, buy some pretty expensive apartments. Right. And so he started setting up meetings. And as I was getting in front of those people, I was like, wow, this is what I really needed. I needed an audience of capable investors. Yeah. And now it's up to me to close them. And I will, you know, the percentages were low. I mean, I, would, I don't know how many meetings we took. It was a lot. <laughs> and I would say we probably walked away with two maybe three investors. Okay. And I'm talking about in a two year period, we must have had over 200 meetings. Um, yeah. And it just became sort of what happened is people, we developed a reputation of, oh, there's these two guys they are running around. They're trying to raise money to do this self-storage project in Long Island city. And right. that's, that, that's who we became. We, 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 created a reputation for ourselves and it preceded us. And I think by the end of that second year, um, I wouldn't say everybody was taking us seriously, but they were, they were saying, well, they're serious guys. I don't necessarily think I'm going to invest in them, right. but they're serious guys. They are really trying to do this. And, um, you know, I cut a break with a few investors. Um, and, and then those investors talked to their peers and yeah. one thing led to another and we were able to get that deal. But um, there were some tough moments. I mean, you I'm know, sure. I, 
definitely was walking home on Fridays thinking, okay, well, nothing got done this week and I have no money. <laughs> and how am I paying rent next month? That was every other month. I felt like that. Uh, right. So I don't want to paint it as like a Disney movie. That's right. Yeah, it wasn't. It was uh, it was more of like the, you know, early rounds of a Rocky movie where you just get your ass kicked. <laughs> So, so it's, you bring up a good point, which is, you know, there's sort of two elements to it, two key themes, which is network and then skill set, you know, the, yeah. the chops, right? And so I, I think it's interesting because it's broadly applicable inside, outside of real estate. Uh, when you're looking for investors in, in tech uh, or even in like a manufacturing business, um, Having the technical know-how is fantastic. It's something you can hang your hat on. You know, people can uh, can can sense that in a meeting. You know what you're talking about, and you can execute right. So, so that is something that you can sell on your own. But without a warm lead or somebody who's call it a friendly to kind of ease that yeah. path to raising money, it's really hard. You know, very you you hear some stories here and there of people who have succeeded just pure like horsepower brute strength you know got in front of enough people through yeah. cold calls but frankly it's it's not a very well-traveled road and uh you know the path i, you... I think it's yeah that's that's a tough one i mean it's yeah. very difficult and that that's going back to what i said earlier you got to get your ass out of your apartment man <laughs> like get out there me is i don't care who you talk to talk to the bartenders talk yeah. to Talk to sure. your Uber driver, talk to everybody where it gets to the point where your reputation simply is you're the dude trying to raise money. Right. You're and a go-getter. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's all that really happened with me. People were just right. like, look, he's kind of an annoying bastard. He this is all he talks about right. is trying to raise money for this self-storage project in you know queens but that has to you have to become pretty obsessive about it where that's all you're talking about uh because and that's all you're about and if if you go about that i, I do think people start to make introductions for you and you need that i mean like you said just strictly cold calling people you can do it and i still am you know uh a proponent of doing that but i think you have to have a parallel track of similarly asking everybody you know can do you know anybody in real estate i mean at the time i'm sure i reached out to you and it was like hey did you know anybody who would invest in real yeah. estate and a lot of times it's like no but it's you you put that out there and and maybe you know somebody right. will come around and say hey you know go for it um what i will say about reaching out to people um just cold uh, it you know if somebody reached out to me cold at this point in my career i i always do take the the call um I, I will give that person a few minutes a lot of times within 30 seconds i'm like you're an idiot uh and i'm just trying to get off the phone yeah but a lot of times i may not be able to help but i am willing to at least listen and if there's somebody that I could introduce them to, I, I will do that, you know, there. So it's not a complete loss. It's just the, the percent 
that it is going to lead to something, it is pretty low, right? Because right. if you call me, I mean, chances are I probably won't even be able to help, but like, all right, I'm going to call my friend Paul in LA. He, he might go. actually yeah. be useful uh, on something like this. You might get that. So right. I, I wouldn't say, hey, just abandon that um, because in my career, I've, I've done that. And I've had, I mean, you know, the story about when I was sending out those letters to the general manager oh, yeah. of the NBA. Um, but it worked. I mean, yeah, I, didn't, wasn't it Atlanta or somebody? Yeah. So, responded, right? so what happened was the story was, uh, we were both working in finance. Um, I hated my job. Uh, <laughs> we all did. And I was a, I was a terrible employee. Um, uh, all of that. And I remember I was talking to Paul and I was like, man, I just got to do something I like. And we're both huge basketball fans. And I was like, man, if I could just work for an NBA team. And he just almost just laughed. Not <laughs> like almost. I am now. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much laughed in my face. He's like, yeah, like you have no experience for that. <laughs> no whatsoever. connection. No. And, you know, last time I checked, my dad doesn't own an NBA basketball right. team. So um, I don't even know what year this was. This was like early 2000s, right? 2002? Yeah. Yeah, it was right after 9-11. Yeah, so um, I uh, I sent uh, self-addressed envelopes to every GM in the <laughs> league. I sent a survey as to what wow. I should do in order to get a job at an NBA team. And um, I, I think I, I did send a resume. And uh, okay, so most people didn't respond. I mean, at the time, I think there's 30 teams. I would say 10, 10 responses of those responses. Uh, some of them that were ridiculous. I remember Rod Thorne, the GM of the Nets at the time, sent oh. me an autograph <laughs> of him, a picture oh, of so Rod Thorne. <laughs> autograph i was like who <laughs> on earth wants an autograph of a general manager do All you right? still have it let's let's ask that question i do still have it because <laughs> i thought it was hilarious and i was like did you look at my resume as well i'm a grown adult like what adult man <laughs> wants the autograph of a general manager yeah. i was just shocked the guy had a picture of himself all right right yeah, right was, right it was one of those classic you know you black and white yeah black yeah and white. so he sent me that uh the guy on the suns the owner sent me one is uh, okay colangelo colangelo well cool he That's sent cool. me an autograph i and i that i was like these are this is ridiculous <laughs> um the guy on the lakers head of ticket sales uh oh. sent me a a typed letter on what I might want to do, but, um, okay. the That's guy cool. on the Minnesota Timberwolves, um, okay. Babcock is his last name. There's two of oh, them yeah. in the NBA. He, he, he called me. Wow. He, he literally called me. Um, and, um, I, I was just, I was, I was stunned. I had a, I had a voice message. And I remember I was like, I can't believe this guy called me. First of all, I was like, I'm going to get a job. I was like, wow. I'm going to get, <laughs> like, get hired. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> Screw Paul. This is going to work. And uh, so I, uh, I called him back. Obviously, I was super obviously, excited. Yeah. I probably was, I don't know, 25 at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the guy talked to me for almost an hour. 
and he really, um, he broke down what I was going to have to do. Uh, and he was, he was patient. He answered all my questions. And at the end of that call, I thought to myself, uh, there's no way I'm doing this. <laughs> there's no way I'm doing what he's telling me. He was like, you know, you're going to have to watch every game. I was like, Oh, I'll do that. He's right. like, you're going to have to like be a scout that's yeah. not getting paid. Send right. us this, this, this. And he's like, Oh yeah. And you're going to need to at least like be coaching. And I was like, well, what is, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you're going to have to like coach like a high school team and, and yeah. move up. And I was like, but wait, I was like, that means I'm moving back to my parents' house. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to be living there for a very long time. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it wasn't just that he outlined some of the obvious challenges and this, that he's like, he did say, I, you could probably get there, but it's going to take a long time. Yeah. And, yeah. um, what he outlined, I was unwilling to do. And I realized <laughs> I was like, you know what? I love basketball, but I guess I don't love it as much as I thought because <laughs> I'm not going to do it. But yeah. look, the cold calling in that situation. Oh, it worked. It worked. Yeah, that's worked. a success. That is I, yeah, way I more than yeah. I would have expected you to get from that effort. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't, you know, I obviously didn't land a job, yeah. through it, but I got intel that was super valuable yeah. to me. And, you know, I actually, you know, at that point, then I started looking into other, you know, other spaces and real estate. Eventually, I went down that road because it, you know, it, it just sort of spoke to me. But I think you you have to, um, you know, I think we were talking about this the other day. I think when a downturn like this inevitably um, comes, so long does ridiculous headlines. Uh, you know, yeah. all of the, you know, Doomsday. apocalyptic. Yeah. yeah. You remember how 2008 was. Right. This is nothing like 2008. Let's be very candid about that. We're not talking about a global financial crisis. We're not talking about toxic assets uh, across the board, right? This is, yeah, uh, you know, obviously a market correction. It might be deeper and more protracted than we hope, but by no means are we facing a doomsday scenario. So, no, I, I don't think we are, but yeah. the headlines need clicks. Yeah. yeah. They do. And, and you really are, if you're somebody who's like, you know what, I'm going to go out there I, when these values drop, I'm going to go find my pebble beach, you know, yeah. and I don't expect anybody to have 500 million bucks just sitting in their account, but maybe that, that, that small one bedroom apartment that you think is a good investment. Yeah. Now you're going to go rally your friends, you know, raise the money. You got to You're going to need 50 grand you want to go do that. There's going to be so many headlines that tell you not to do it. Yeah. And that's where you have to believe in your math and your instincts and all of those things that sound cliche, but you do have to tune out some of that. And I think you got to tune out sometimes people that you even know that are saying, well, I, I, I don't think that that's a good buy. If right. you firmly believe it, 
and you've done the math and done the work on it, then you do have to tune that stuff out. You have to believe in your thesis and you have to push forward. If you're unable to do that, you will always be outside looking in, or you will always be buying at the top of the market, or you will be that guy who's like, I said that that thing was going to be worth a lot. Yeah. And, and And you know what? That's worth zero. Yeah. That's worth zero. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta stick a stake in the ground and, and do to do that, you do need to ignore um, a lot of it. Treat yourself like a, a, a low round draft pick that everybody says right. is not going to make the team too slow. Can't do this. Uh, blah, blah, blah. All of that. You, you do have to treat yourself the same way because if you have done the work on the opportunity, um, you know, that it's just a shame to let it go because good opportunities are so difficult to find. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, right now I think that we will see some because the office market is going to have ripple effects on all of real estate. Residential, same thing, right? I mean, there's just going to be pockets of the country that get hit harder than others. And look, even, even if you were thinking about, you know what, I'm going to open up, uh, I don't know, uh, a, a laundromat, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right now, you will be able to negotiate rent at yeah. a price that is probably the lowest price in rent in maybe a decade, yeah. right? So suddenly, you're, the biggest operating expense that you had is as low as it's ever been. That That is an opportunity. I'm, you know, Obviously, you need to know something about the laundry business and the demand and all of this. I mean, right. you got a George Jefferson it a little bit, but like, you you're know, coming, you're coming into the situation at a fair price, right? In, in fact, in, in many regards, you're kind of getting a haircut to what kind of normal value would be. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that's, that's what I mean by when values go down, there is opportunity and it's across the board and you have to find where it is going to benefit you and whatever your plan is. Um, It could be a a business that you're considering starting um, or maybe you're trying to develop an app, right? And now Mm -hmm. suddenly you actually have some access to programmers that, are pretty good and it's not going to cost as much as it would have cost a while back. Right. So there's, there's so many dynamics to it. So again, I just would say you got to try to ignore the headlines and, and have a really good plan and just keep pushing forward, you know, because, you know, you never know, you yeah. too could get an autographed picture of Rod <laughs> Thorne. If you work really hard, Pick you might spots. get one. You might get one. Super valuable stuff. (laughs) Um, So look, that's probably all the time we have for today. You know, what we uh, plan on kind of closing each episode on with is um, is something that's going on in the business world uh, or maybe even in the mainstream world outside of business and kind of what we would do if we were at the seat at that table. I think it was last week, was it? Twitter came out and said that um, employees could buy shares in the company yeah. at a value of $20 billion, assuming the company is worth $20 billion. Now, uh, the company was taken private at, what, $44, 44. Billion? 
Yeah, that's right. So my question to you, Paul, is if you worked at Twitter, <laughs> would you buy in at 20? Because, hey, this, this sounds like Pebble Beach, maybe. Maybe this is Pebble Beach here, 44 bill down to 20. Maybe this, you know, it could pop. It could pop. It could. It could. And uh, I would say I'm probably not in the camp that's betting big on Twitter these days. You know, as a platform, I think it's wonderful. Uh, it's a great, you know, news feed, communication tool, yeah. you know, branding uh, tool. But frankly, I don't even think this is, you know, like a temporary uh, correction and, and kind of restructuring of the business. I think he, I think he's shit the bed, frankly. Yeah, he and, just he bought at just too high a valuation. Yeah. And, um, and you know, he, he pissed too many people off with the way he fired people, how rapidly he did so. And, you know, now unless you are, unless he's going to pay you extremely well, right? And your top flight talent, what are the chances that he's going to be able to, to kind of bring back Twitter to its glory? I think it's pretty low. So I'm not buying it at a $20 billion valuation. Frankly, I think this is uh, kind of the, the beginning of the beginning of the end for Twitter as a platform. You think it's think just yeah, gonna, too high. It's going to have to sell it. it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I was in that spot, I wouldn't either. Um, and it's, it's more, it has less to do with Twitter specific. Um, I think that this space in general is going to change a lot. Uh, you know, Utah, I think just passed a bill on social media that, you know, anybody younger than 18, uh, parents have to sign off on it and they have to have access to, uh, anyone who's under 18 to their accounts. Uh, wow. It's, I mean, Twitter is, you know, a social media platform, you know, it's a little bit different, but right. essentially it's, it's similar. I think that social media and these types of platforms like Twitter, uh, I, across the political spectrum, everyone has come to a consensus that they're not great for society. And yeah. I think what's going to happen for all of these platforms is a lot more regulation. A lot more regulation means a lot less profit. They were running wild uh, for a decade and a half with almost no oversight, no regulations. And I think as all of us, you know, we're everyday people are starting to think, you know, net, net. It is pretty negative. I don't think right. you're going to get a lot of people out there protesting if they put in a lot of regs for this specific part of the tech industry. Uh, so based on that, I just feel like that platform has so much change coming at them. Yeah, uh, it just seems it just seems hard for me to believe that suddenly there's going to be great earnings and that this is a good investment. Um, I think they're going to be just trying to tread water. Uh, and, you know, I think people are, are kind of fed up with some of the um, collateral damage of, yeah. of Twitter, Facebook, all of it. I mean, look, TikTok, they're trying to ban it, right? right. They're trying to ban it. So this isn't something that isn't coming down the pike. Um, so that's my opinion. I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't buy it. Um, but um, 
you know finally something we agree on yeah i i would agree on that i wouldn't i wouldn't buy it uh i would have been one of the people fired anyway <laughs> so oh, like yeah. you and me I, both i would have been one of the people there that was yeah. still standing i, I would have been uh, out the door for sure but I anyway that checked uh, my email I, I was that? You, know, you know they turned off everybody's email and that's how that was like your first sign i wouldn't have even check my email I known <laughs> well before that uh that moment that i was gone yeah, no, for sure. I would have been I would have been casualty number one there. Um, anyway, that's our episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you can find us on Twitter and social media, even though we just bashed it as pure capitalists. We still use their product. Right. Uh, we this episode will be uploaded up on Spotify. Um, and I hope you join us next week. Um, until then. Take it easy. And um, the Rod Thorn autograph is not for sale. Uh, so I will be keeping that. We'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Thanks.